Hello, how's things? You're very welcome to the MSD Animal Health podcast series. My name's Jack O'Connor, I'm the Ruminate Marketing Manager. This is a first for us, going into the area of podcasts, uh, but I guess the purpose of our podcasts, we're going to different disease areas um, with different experts in their field, and I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Mary O'Connor, um, uh, Vet with MSD Animal Health. Mary, very welcome. Thank you very much, Jack, I'm delighted to be here. And also to my right, we have Dr. Owen Ryan from, from UCD, so Owen, you're very welcome too, Thank and, thank, much, and thanks for coming out uh, to us to have a chat on other health. So Mary, over to you. Today we want to talk about all things other health, but probably mainly focusing on cell check, milk recordings and how to use milk recordings and really investigate the data and be able to pull out what's important and what's what's relevant. So Owen, I suppose start off maybe, will you just give us a bit of background about your own line of work and, and what you do in UCD and how, how you what the service that UCD can provide? Um, so I, I work as a, I work as a lecturer in, in, in UCD in, Mary, in the farm animal department and uh, a lot of my work is through the hospital there but also there's the herd health team and so we, we would carry out a lot of uh, farm investigations there as part of a, a referral service um, uh, around the country and that would, in, that would encompass mastitis investigations, fertility, nutrition, calf health and various other, other things as well. So um, that takes up the majority majority of the time. And with regards, I know that you're on the technical working group with the Animal Health Ireland for Cell Check Own, and you've put great amounts of work into that, as, as all the members on that group have. And like there has been massive advances made in, in milk quality and controlling cell count down through the years. This year, Cell Check have launched a new TASA funded programme, which I think is excellent because before, I suppose, we were probably focusing on the herds that mightn't have had an issue and that they could go towards selective. Whereas now we have an option for herds that just need to get things under control slightly and and then go towards selective. So could you just talk through that new that new scheme? Absolutely, Mary. And as you say, like the up to now we had a dry cow consult, which was very much for for herds which had a low cell count. Yeah. Uh, a bull tank under a hundred thousand all year round. So it was brought to our attention, um, you know, that we we did need to have a have something for the herds under pressure. So this is the lactation consult now, as opposed to dry cow consult that that's been developed um, through cell check, and it, it's it's based around a multidisciplinary team approach. Um, so where the farmer would be would be surrounded basically by a team of professionals. You've got your vet, your milk machine technician, uh, the the milk processor, the you know the the co-op advisor, uh, everybody who who would have knowledge and expertise who can uh, give that farmer guidance and help help with a mastitis problem, be it a high cell count problem or be it a mastitis problem or be it a mix of the two, um, and particularly given the importance of of that and and the dealing with high cell count in a in the new environment where selective dry cow treatment and everything has has been uh, has been brought in mm. following legislative changes and i think that's probably one of the most progressive things yeah. out of that report is that now it's looking at everyone needs to be involved and it's no longer a, you know one person coming in trying to possibly fire brigade the situation like just from doing the training i would have known to ask the questions around vacuum and pulsation and liner changes but if you handed me the report, I wouldn't have had a clue. Oh, absolutely. Like the, the, the knowledge that yeah, have, you know, amazing. is fantastic. You oh, know, is, and, yeah. uh, you know, everyone is an expert in their own field. And, and that's exactly. really important to understand. Exactly. Isn't that? Yeah. 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 So I found, you know, that I, I think that that's a really essential part to that, to that consult. And just with regards, you know, if I was a farmer coming to you and had a bulk of maybe hovering three to four hundred and just struggling to get things down and what time frame would I be looking at to 
to reduce that down to say below 200 or into something more manageable? So it, it does depend to a degree, but on average, let's hmm. say in general, um, if if uh, this this sort of a consult would involve uh, an initial meeting, uh, initial discussion, um, ideally, if there was milk records there, an assessment of milk records, and if there wasn't, you'd have a little bit of time, maybe hopefully to get some milk records. Yeah. Uh, and then an actual investigation, actual on-farm investigation, looking at routine, etc. Uh, and following on from that, um, if it was a contagious problem and milk and machine was very important in it, and some aspects of milk and routine were very important, the biggest thing that you can see in terms of uh, speed of improvement would be uh, an improvement in the recent infection rate. So mm-hmm. decreased spread of infection on the farm. So between your, your investigation and drying off, you might see a reduction in the spread. Now, the overall cell count will maybe only drop, maybe not by a huge amount, but it won't continue to rise, which is often the major problem is that it'll continue to rise all year round. So you'll keep it steady and hopefully drop it a little bit. But then it will need a dry cow period for to get you know, the source dealt with so you've got this whole two arm approach you know dealing with spread and mastitis on one side but then also dealing with the source and the source really is all around dry cow management be it dry cow therapy uh, and or culling you know and those two are very important so uh, typically then to get the response from that you're talking about six months later to a year later where you see huge improvements but you should hopefully see initial drop in cell count or at least stasis not getting worse and then after a dry cow, t- dry, dry cow period, a significant uh, drop and good control. Yeah. Uh, and the best way to see if it's been controlled in is via uh, your milk recording data. You do need data to see if you're under control. Brilliant, brilliant. So for with regards milk recordings then and, and data, say, for a herd, and you mentioned there, if, if they weren't milk recording, you'd probably have to wait and get you know some milk recordings after your first initial visit. What, how historical do you have to be with those milk recordings and how many would you be looking back on when, you, when you're when you you, you, you can, it's a good point, Mary. You can, you can actually make ground even just from one. Great. Do you okay. know? So like if a farmer has never been milk recording before, that's not a problem. Um, and if a farmer is still reluctant to milk record, some ground can still be made because, you know, you can see if there's various activities that could be improved for or maybe machine issues. But if, if, uh, if a milk recording can be done, uh, and between that and drying off, you could have maybe three milk recordings in total. That gives you very, very good information, uh, particularly uh, from which to identify problem cows uh, and make decisions on cows. Brilliant. You know, yes. Yeah, so that would be the ideal. Um, difficult enough to do an awful lot on one milk recording, mm-hmm. but it does still identify and help identify problem cows, which can be targeted. Okay. You know. And if I'm going back then and I'm switching over now and I'm the vet in practice and I'm going out you know, even if I'm if I'm not involved in, in the Taser investigation, but I'm, you know, have six cows in the crush and, and the farmer's getting, you know, really worried about this and there is a contagious issue on the farm. And if he wants me to look at milk recordings and he has some, he has three to four milk recordings, mm-hmm. what's the first page that I should pull out and have a look at or the first part of it that I should... Well, uh, I think the cell check report itself actually is a good place to start yeah. because on that first page, it gives a very, very nice um, uh, graph there showing the cell count distribution, but the recording, if there is milk recording and bulk tank across. Now, you'll only have it if if there is a history of milk recording on that farm, mm-hmm. you know, but if there is, the cell check report is excellent. And below that initial 
uh, graph which shows what has been going on like for a 12 month period or more then you get you get two more uh, lovely graphs which show recent infection rate and persistent infection rate in the herd and those two are a really really important source of data the recent infection rate will tell you if there is an ongoing spread of infection in the herd and that's critical uh, and that that's how cell count is spreading that's how bacteria are spreading um, mm-hmm. be it in the parlor or elsewhere and and that's really really important and then the persistent infection rate often predictive is a contagious problem um, will point to a source uh, yeah. and and uh, indicate you know you know how severe that is on the second page then there's some very good data as well on that and uh, the, probably the most useful bit is on dry cow cure rate and dry cow cure rate is really important you know um, and that'll just give you some ind- indication of perhaps um, you know how useful previous previous therapy went but also um, if there was a lot of new infections going on and also if you're dealing with uh, bacterial infections which are quite difficult to manage. So the recent infection rate really kind of does show us what's going on, what type of problem we have. The type of problem then contagious or environmental. What type of trend would you see if you were looking at say it's environmental and we can control this really quickly? Yeah that that's a great point like yeah, as part of these things, we, we do tend to try and concentrate on looking for trends or yeah. patterns. And um, with the recent infection rate, um, with an environmental one, you would you would expect to see uh, a rise in cell count, a pattern of a rise in cell count associated with the housing period. Oh, yeah. uh, and that that um, that can sometimes be quite obvious, and sometimes sometimes it can be a little bit um, hidden too, because. Um, what has been on the rise uh, has been mixed infections uh, in this country over the last mm-hmm. number of years. Whereas traditionally, in, in, in let's say 10 years ago, the vast majority of it, for example, cell cone problems were very much contagious. Now there is a little bit of a mix uh, involved there with uh, bacteria like strep uberus, where you can have a rise certainly uh, in the housing area, which does suggest uh, environmental involvement, but then it, it will continue as a, as a you know, high cell count issue during the year two because it can it can become co-adapted and spread and on is that kind of coming back to the issue or having a farm level around space uh, space per cow yeah. or cubicle per cow even absolutely jack absolutely one of the one of the major probably reasons why some herds have had issues uh, and have had difficulty i suppose in controlling mastitis problems both environmental and, and contagious has been expansion over the last number of mm. years and expansion has put significant pressure on housing uh, put significant pressure on labor and significant pressure even on the size of milk and powders mm-hmm. and everything uh, and uh, with with uh, with expansion then and uh, say if, if if in the housing there's a lack of cubicle spaces there's a lack of space in the calving areas etc there's a huge uh, challenge and a huge risk of mm-hmm. of environmental infections and new infections over the dry period in particular as a whole there's a greater pressure on that whole farming system and that production system not only for animals but for the farmers as well and labourers as well um just coming back to mary you were talking about milk recording so i guess the real point there is if a farmer is not milk recording now is the time to go talk and try Absolutely. at least get one done so if there was critical milk recordings that they should get done the calendar year which ones are they and what the- time periods are they that's a that's a good point. Um, probably the most critical one between now and drying off is is one before drying off, and it's recommended that should be done within a month of drying off, and that is a really important one for decision making at that time. Um, and one month 
maybe out to six weeks from drying off would be would be a good time. Other than that, then it's it's really good to get um, a milk recording done relatively early in lactation. I think that that does show you it'll, it'll give you an idea of how a dry period went in terms of dry cow cure rates, and also it'll give you an indication of you know if there are problem cows early in the season that maybe could be managed that will stop a problem getting out of control later in the year. So that will be February, March, maybe into April, depending on, on calving pattern on the farm. Oh, and we know that there are big changes coming in terms of legislation and our approach to mastitis control and dry cow therapy. And selective dry cow therapy is, has been embraced in, in some ways on farms. Um, it's definitely moving in the right direction towards that. What are your thoughts on how to go about it? Like milk recording really is essential part of that puzzle. You know, you wouldn't advise anyone to, to do it off the bat of not having proper records. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on how things are, are moving in Ireland and how we're moving towards selective dry cow therapy? So I, I, I think selective dry cow therapy, at, at the minute there is, it's, it's uh, presenting a little bit of a challenge. The, the, big, the big challenge is that to really um, decide on what cows to select for antimicrobial treatment versus what cows get just a teat sealer. That is really an individual animal decision. So you need individual animal information. Uh, and unfortunately, there's about only 40 to 50% of herds milk recording at the minute. Uh, and for those herds then that are not milk recording, there's a significant challenge. And for the vets who are going to have to prescribe at the end of the year, what, how do you make that decision? How do you make that decision? So between now and then, I suppose our major recommendations, we would encourage uh, farmers to try and you know consider and gear up for this milk recording in that last six weeks before drying off. I think that would be that'll be that'd be brilliant. That'd be the ideal, the optimal way to do it. And by doing that, that actually will help identify cows. And in some herds that have had a high cell count, it it uh, you know it'll only be a very very small number of cows that might be suitable at all for for uh, uh, selective in other herds that have milk recording then there quite can be quite a, a large proportion of of cows who, who could be teeth sealer only the alternative of course is is california mastitis testing and that is quite labor intensive there's no doubt it can be effective like there's recent research from new zealand even this year scott mcdowell 2022 and that in journal of dairy science and that showed that uh, using California mastitis testing, you can get even slightly better bacteriological cures, you know, than than with cell count. However, you use more antimicrobials. You use more antimicrobials. Mm. It can be done. It's just it's quite a, it's quite labor intensive, you know. So there are your two options, you know. So if McCorn is not going to be done, uh, farmers and vets need to be aware that California mastitis testing will also need to be done, mm. you know. So there's there's two options there. So you've outlined there just um, on the important times of year. So first one after the dry period, which would be within 60 days. Absolutely. And you get a lot of cows in that in that time frame. And then 30 days before the dry period where you can make your decisions and and make, you know, really, I suppose, informed decisions around your, your dry cow management. Um, just with regards contagious patterns in and contagious trends on milk recordings, on a recent infection rate, if I'm standing on a farm and I'm looking at that sheet, what should I, what would I be seeing on if there was um, a contagious issue on that farm? 
generally like with reinfection rate your target is to have it less than seven percent at any one time uh, and typically with a contagious problem what you'll find is that it'll be higher than that and higher than that typically all through lactation and i think that is the major pattern with contagious is that it carries out all through lactation and in our grass-based system there's no great you know pattern of a drop when they go to grass mm-hmm. uh, and that suggests then that it's not associated with either housing or grass it's more associated with something common and the common factor then is they're going through a milking parlor every day through lactation mm-hmm. so that that is really what the pattern suggests that's brilliant that's a really really concise way of looking at, at it, how the contagious issue on irish dairy farms is, is such a big is such a big issue and there's a practical solution to that too there so is. you're actually you can actually look at your yeah. milk, you know it's not finger in the air um it, it c- could potentially be a simple fix absolutely with correct hygiene or cleaning or changing the, that yeah. practice in particular so that's absolutely right jack and and there could be significant issues maybe in a milking machine that could easily be sorted by a milking machine technician coming and yeah. doing a service and doing corrections on particular things yeah. which can make you know fairly significant and fairly quick uh, progress yeah. absolutely you know. yeah. and i think yeah. that's a really important point to make jack and 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 Owen as well because i find cell count if i was dairy farming i think it's one of the most stressful things mm. and looking at a cell count being high it's very hard in the mind and it's very difficult then you can get into a rut and maybe you don't want to talk about it and maybe you don't want to deal with it and you kind of the ostrich effect a little bit you're nearly but hoping it solves itself exactly exactly just asking a question yeah or, you know as you were saying i'll get the correct people in be it a vet milk advisor yeah. milk and parlor technician yeah could be a simple change to, that's right to yeah. fix the problem that's so. right yeah. i think because everything is there's achievable goals in every in every aspect of of farming and it's very attainable absolutely to start making changes and that's to it to go in the right direction. Exactly. Yeah. And it does need that at least one occasion where you go on to the farm and you do go into that parlour yeah. and you see what how things are and maybe you take your samples and then you maybe look at housing if that's the time of year where that would be an issue. And too. sometimes as well, you need another pair of eyes. 100%. And as you said, small, simple changes, sometimes just tweaking things and you can make a huge difference, you know. So that's right. there's, that's there's right. options there. And I think we have more options now than ever. Um, it's just to, to get in and, and ask the question. Now we're going to move over towards a slightly different aspect of milk recording and how to analyze data and how to pull the data out of it. Um, and it's the nutritional aspect. So looking at our trends in butter, fat and protein throughout the year and the different times a year that things can, I suppose, when a vet is going out onto a farm doing a clinical examination, that it is useful to have a look at the records. and. I suppose this is where if we can log into ICBF and have a look before we land out into farm, it's even better again. Um, but Owen, could you just talk to me a little bit about, you know, the fresh period there where, you know, if, if fat is shooting up in, in, in the tank and individual cows are coming back, you know, way too high, say a black and white, big tall black and white, she's giving you four, between 4.5 and 5 in fat and she's kind of nearly melting herself. What, what would you be advising now in that situation or what's that? you know signifying well high fats in the in the recent cap period or the postperitoneal period as i call it usually indicates negative energy balance and you could have a, a lot of cows at that time in actual ketosis or at least subtinical ketosis if you see that so it depends on whether you're looking at it 
uh, via the herd level data uh, which you can get in umbilical carding or via the individual animal um, so that there's actually a number of different reports there and a number of actual different profiles too on the icbf uh, milk recording data which you can actually uh, download to help analyze that even the actual um, non-milk recording herds can actually get a co-op performance report off which even will give at least a monthly average for fat and protein and even you can see a pattern on that and we go back to patterns and trends again Mary, which are really good to see um, so if you see a pattern of a very high fat and also a very low protein that usually is a very strong indicator of a negative energy balance and or ketosis in a herd and to some degree then you have to take into account on the farm the type of cow and the, the, the actual breeds of cow you would have different targets depending on the type of herd that's in there. Uh, for example, with protein, milk protein uh, is most influenced by energy in a diet because um, protein is produced via um, glucose, gluconeogenesis in, in, in the cow. So if there's a lack of energy, protein will tend to drop. In a typical Holstein Friesian type herd, uh, at a herd level, you'd like to see protein of 3.2 or above. And when once it drops below 3.2, for a period of time that's a fairly strong indicator at a herd level that there's probably an energy balance issue going on all these trends are much easier to see of course in a tight calving compact system uh, such as a spring calving type system whereas if you have a mix autumn and spring they can be uh, they can be hidden a little bit now if you have individual milk recording then on icbf there's there's uh, icbf profiles and in the milk recording test profiles you can download those there and you can uh, you can look at cows and sort cows via days in milk and you can look and see what are air lactation cows doing and that's typically the cow you may most worried about as you pointed out there uh, and at those at that level the individual cow if milk protein is dropping below 3.04 in more than 15 percent of cows that is a strong indicator of negative energy balance fat to protein ratios in that's another thing you can look at and fat to protein ratios is uh, something that's very useful too in a crossbred herd or at least where there's a component of the herd crossbred because a protein will be typically quite high where you have a lot of crossbred cows in so looking at low protein really uh, isn't isn't that sensitive whereas fat to protein the ratio between the two is actually good and if you have a high fat and a low protein where it reaches that 1.4 ratio 1.4 or more that's a relatively good indicator again of an energy balance problem so fat divided by protein of 1.4 or more is a energy balance issue and these are all great things as well to look back mm -hmm. on retrospectively you know <coughs> even if even if spring is over and mm -hmm. you do want to do a consult with your farmer or the farmer vice versa wants to just ask the vet if the fat protein ratio is a great one to look back on over the spring period and or that early lactation period be it what type of system they have and look at, at what that what that ratio is and you'll know straight away whether there's a feeding issue there or not that's right and if cows are coming under pressure at certain points of the system that's right Mary. and, and it's, it's it's extremely important and it's a it's a it's an important thing to pick up on and even something that a farmer could be watching as well on you know the texts that they get yeah. from the co-op on a weekly basis really a good thing to check what protein and the ratio between the two um because of the knock-on effects of energy balance there it can be sometimes even associated with outbreaks of clinical mastitis, like E. coli mastitis or Strapovers mastitis, if it's very air lactation cows that are suffering a problem. But the biggest impact, of course, will be six to eight weeks down the line on fertility. And if you can identify and hopefully 
uh, correct an issue of negative injury balance in March and April, that'll make sure fertility will be better in May and June. However, if, if energy balance issue will persist through March and into April, that'll hit maybe the first three to six weeks of the breeding season, which is... Mm. Critical. Just critical, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Critical, yeah. yeah. So yeah. It, it's a very important thing. And it shows the the extra advantages of data and milk recording and all those things. You mm-hmm. know, you're not just monitoring cell count, but you're monitoring fertility and nutrition. And then at different times of the year, on, um, I suppose I'm kind of honing in now, maybe late May, early June, when you're going into, <clears throat> you know, your later rotations of grass, it's a little bit more lush. Mm-hmm. Bull tanks are possibly taking a hit from, you know, year on year if you compare them and butterfat falls off. Mm-hmm. Uh, your protein is, is staying up, they're out on grass, so they're off silage, they're out full time. What does that tell us about the status of the cows at that stage? Well, if the energy is staying up and the fat is dropping, then that fat at that stage, fat is is most, most commonly in the, uh, affected at that stage by either the fibre component of the diet um, or by the the type of fatty acids in the grass. So you have two sort of things which cause what sometimes referred to as low milk fat syndrome. And, and if it's associated with the fiber, um, that can often then lead to a, a problem of too much acid production in the rumen, sometimes referred to as subacute rumen acidosis. Um, that might also be seen in a herd where cows might be a little bit loose in the dung, might not be fully eating in the grass, a little bit back in yield as well. Uh, not quite right and the mm-hmm. farmer would pick up on that there's no doubt about it um, and the other side then is you can get a herd which seems to be performing well and cows seem very healthy but fat has dropped and of course you know fat is very important mm-hmm. when it comes to the, the check at the end of the month yeah. uh, in those herds um, typically again it is that month of May that you identified quite a lot of herds in the country are affected and it's it's changes in the likes of linoleic acid and acids like that in the in the grass at that time uh, which affect roman function as such leading to a drop in in milk fat that's grass type uh it, it's it's not something that's that easy to to sort it does tend to um peak in may that 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 problem with the grass and usually by june july on it it it, it, it sort of has sorted itself out but that usually occurs without uh, health effects on the cows whereas the subacute acidosis usually you'll see extra health effects plus or minus a drop in yield in the herd at that time. So I suppose moving on from that if I was a vet attending a farm like this it's useful to be able to pull the records and and, and definitely look like instead of you know just doing your basic clinical examination with a thermometer and stethoscope and, and a rectal that you'd be able to look at the data and see oh look here the, the, the yield is down the butterfat has dropped off It'll give you a good indicator of what's going on. Absolutely. And again, at that time, we're right at the start of the breeding season, aren't we? We're into it there. Uh, and if you get subacute rumen acidosis at that time, that will affect fertility. Mm-hmm. It'll affect conception rates. Yeah. You know, it definitely will. Yeah. Um, and uh, um, it's certainly something to monitor. It's certainly yeah. something to monitor. And at the same time, we'll be looking at the protein as well. Um, but typically speaking, usually energy balance wouldn't be as common an issue at that time of the year. Mm-hmm. Now, Owen, we have spoken there about on the nutritional aspects of milk recording and what we can pull from that in the fresh period and also there around the kind of coming into breeding season, summer months. Just looking then towards the dry period and how do we tackle that from the point of view of, I suppose, body condition scoring and grouping our cows? We know that from what we've spoken about already with, you know, 
cell check and selective and the types of dry cow therapy we're going to be using, whether or not cows will need a longer dry period, number one, whether they can, you know, possibly handle a shorter dry period. We'll certainly have to monitor nutrition closely if we are chopping and changing the dry period like that in herds. What is your way of handling that? What times a year should we be body condition scoring coming up to that period? And when can we make changes that are, are in time and that it won't be too late to to cause, I suppose, issues in the in the fresh period? I, I think I think body condition scoring um in in the last month before drying off is is is, is a great thing to do. It gives you an idea of where the herd is. Um generally speaking, most herds will be fairly fairly consistent across body condition. The vast majority of cows, uh, at least eighty five or ninety percent of them will will lie within the same category. But you might always have about five or ten percent of cows that could be you know, outside of that and they're the cows really that that uh, you, you'd like to pick up on whether they're under conditioned or maybe due to issues maybe with lameness during the year or some problem like that or whether they're uh, over conditioned maybe they were carryover cows because of previous fertility issues or maybe due to your genetics they just tend to get a little bit heavy and lower in yield as the year goes on um, those cows then they certainly they certainly are a challenge to manage over the dry period um now you could you can look at it in, in various different ways and um, one one option is is grouping according to body condition um that very much depends that very much depends on the availability of housing and that goes back to the point that that, that you made around jack about yeah, about that it's space is a critical mm-hmm. issue and um not every farmer can have that option and can use that option of of grouping picking out those 10% of cows maybe that are thin, which could be fed more, or the 5% of cows that might be already heavy that might need to be fed less. Uh, and unfortunately, with our system, you know, we ha- we, ha- we can't we can't really leave cows outdoors. Out with their knees is not yeah, an option much not. as such, so they have to come inside as such. <clears throat> so it does put pressure on it. If the, the, the ideal scenario is the ability to group uh, and into to feed accordingly and you'd be talking about dry or drying yeah, a body condition score before drying off and then a month after drying off yeah so in the middle of that dry period there i suppose we're we're talking about a classic two-month dry period as being the ideal in most cases um that will also be dependent too for some cows and their fertility performance you know how late they're going to calve the following year and those are the cows that are probably at greatest risk of of getting fat getting heavy perfect yeah um i suppose i always look at the dry period it's like the the runway for the fresh period and yeah. it's where things can be right or wrong whether you're going to have a good spring or a bad spring nearly you're right and it's 100 right there it, it can be it can be tricky to get it right but it's so important to definitely have a look at the cows and and do that bit of body condition scoring just with regards length of dry period um on and in terms of going back to a contagious issue on farms i suppose without sounding you know too colloquial about things but staph aureus is, is a huge issue and we know mm-hmm. that it can do so much damage to the other and it thrives in 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 hiding from the immune system and, and then rearing its head every now and then and you can see the the spikes on the graphs and they go up and down and up and down with with the staph infection yeah. We know that the dry period is, is an area where they can be cured or we can try and find a cure rate for these cows. What length of time do you need proper involution of the mammary tissue 
and really let them soak up and, and have a rest. How long minimum? The minimum is eight weeks, really. Yeah. Like you sort of need two weeks to be allowed for, for just involution. Yeah. And if you have two weeks on the other side of the dry period for colostrogenesis, the production of colostrum and bagging up, basically, that will leave then a four week period in the middle, during which time the cow's own immune system um, can help uh, self-cure almost mm-hmm. or cure any intramammary infections. The problem there is if you have a very short dry period of, say, four weeks, then you have no time in the middle. So the, the risk or the chances of cure is very, very low. Um, so eight weeks is is the is the preferred. If you went to 10, 12 weeks from the point of view of curing of, of mastitis infections, uh, it's certainly not a bad thing. But uh, there's no great advantage to certainly going over 10 weeks and you have that risk of a cow getting heavy. And that's a very important point, <clears throat> particularly this year, because some farmers might consider to milk on. Yeah. But the impact on the following lactation, if the cow doesn't get that, the correct duration of a dry period, that's no, right. could actually impinge then on the following year. You might get a quick short-term win for an extra two weeks, but for the following season, there could be significant issues. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. So if you were, if you have a, a cow with a very, very short uh, dry period, to be honest, and if that cow has any history of of, uh, of, of mastitis mm. or high cell count, you're actually totally dependent on intermammary antibiotics to try and get a cure. And just... Just out of interest, Owen, could you describe what Staph aureus actually does in the udder to a cow, just so that we can get a kind of, I suppose, a visualization of how much damage it can do? I always describe it as a bunch of grapes, but if yeah. you have a better analogy, yeah, yeah, it's 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 a really it's a really frustrating infection, Staph aureus. So it, it does a it does a number of things. Um, within the milk itself, it has this ability to form a slime around itself, and they group together and form this slime called the biofilm, which means that intramammary antibiotics and you know immune cells in the milk can find it very hard to get rid of it then it can actually survive within cells and even survive within the immune cells it's so resistant and it can actually invade and into the tissue of the gland the actual tissue of the gland and, and then set up abscesses so mm. large areas of pus surrounded by fibrous tissue and multiple abscesses sometimes these abscesses can be so big they'll burst out through the skin in severe cases in other cases you won't see them there but they'll be small abscesses bursting fairly frequently and that goes back into that trend that you described mary of these rises in cell count periodically as maybe another abscess and another abscess ruptures during lactation um but over time with all that chronic inflammation then it can cause individual quarters to go quite hard time and also more importantly even than that uh, it, it causes a significant reduction in yield uh, with each passing lactation uh, with all time of inf- all the information going on you get a significant reduction in in, in actual yield uh, for every generally it's been sort of shown quite strongly that for every 100,000 cell count rise above 200,000 yield drops by about two and a half percent you know and some cows that are chronic cell count cows will be yielding uh, over the lifetime of their lactate, uh, over their lifetime, maybe twenty percent less than than what they could have done if that's, they're there for two three years. That's a lovely synopsis of of just how important it is to to really you know have a look and see what's going on, isn't it? It's it that's is, a yeah. that's a, a really important the, point to make. Absolutely, the losses associated with high cell count are actually sometimes quite hidden or mm. indirect, and then culling is a big loss. The risk of culling is a big loss as well to farmers, mm-hmm. uh, and that doesn't take into account fines and various things if cell count goes very very high mm-hmm. too yeah. yeah 
And we've spoken there, I suppose, about the longer dry period and, and you know, those contagious infections um, really do need that longer dry period. Some cows in the herd, I suppose, they can handle a shorter dry period and we, we need, mm -hmm. you know, we can facilitate that, but we do need to manage that too correctly with, with proper nutrition um, and having a look at, at what's going on. But I suppose culture and sensitivity will really show us uh, what's going on within the herd. So if you were to give advice, you know, to vets and farmers own, what would you be saying is the minimum to do in terms of culturing milk and seeing what's going on on a farm? So. My my advice anyway, um, from the point of view of of say a cell count issue, um, would be that um prior to prior to drying off, um, there should be uh, samples taken from cows that that have had a history of high cell count, or certainly when you're taking samples on the day these cows are California mastitis test uh, positive in one or two quarters. Uh, ideally, you'd, you need to have a number of samples taken really to get a good picture of what's going on in the herd. Um, maybe 12 samples even from a herd from which maybe half them might be first lactation cows. That will give you a very good idea of what are the major bacteria on the farm and the bacteria causing the problem. It'll identify whether it's contagious or an environmental problem for you as well. Now, if, if the rise in cell count or clinical mastitis is occurring early in lactation, that's when sampling should take place. Um, as well you know and sampling of clinical mastitis cases even throughout a lactation is a very good thing uh, to recommend um, and if farmers are doing that and if they can manage to do it in a sterile manner and uh, maybe freeze samples and then over time mm -hmm. when they have a number get them sent away it's a very very good thing just to know what's going on and these days you know the labs will provide very good information from the point of view of antimicrobial susceptibility mm -hmm. testing as well so that you can actually identify and target appropriate treatments too, both maybe during lactation if it's appropriate and, and certainly very importantly at drying off. That's um that's they're really, really important um, you know, to have that collective overview of the lactation. Mm -hmm. I think it's it's a really valid point to make. And just with regards then, um, you know, if you're seeing a really mixed bag of infection coming back or, you know, if you're seeing CNS on a lot of the results coming back, what's your advice in the kind of immediate term there to you know, to, is it just to tidy up on how you take the milk samples, or what would you be, what would you be saying? Yeah, like um, I suppose if 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 uh, if you take a number of milk samples and the report say from the lab says that you've got contamination through maybe a third of them, and maybe a third of them grow nothing, that that's not that uncommon for someone not to grow anything. But if you're getting very few samples, which you which you would consider would be significant and would fit with a pattern of contagious mastitis that you'll be hoping that you'll be expecting to come across either staph aureus, staph uberus, maybe coagulus negative staph, um, and some of those other types which would be relatively common. If you're coming across unusual uh, results, then uh, you would question whether samples have been taken in a in a sterile manner. The advice that I think we would we would give is that, you know, at invest you know, as part of an investigation, any of the people there that we mentioned, the vet, uh, even the co-op processors, those people can give, you know, help go out, help take samples in a sterile manner. And uh, the data you get back is going to be as good as the data you send in. And if you can send in good mill samples, good quality mill samples to the lab, the lab will send back good quality results which then you'll, you'll get your value for your money then. You mentioned there 50% of the samples should be from your first calvers. What's the importance of that? And why why would you say that as opposed to taking it from, you know, a whole herd and, and a randomized selection? 
But you, you always mention focusing on 50% of samples from the first cavers. So the first cavers, um, really, they give you a, a, you know, a, a strong guide of what's going on currently in the herd because they've only really been in, in this milk and parlor and they've only been in this herd for a short period of time. So whatever infections they have picked up have occurred during this lactation. So you can be guaranteed that it's, it's currently ongoing. This is that current problem. Whereas if you if you were to sample quite a lot of old cows, some, some of their infections they may have and may have carried over from historical issues in the farm, which might no longer be present. You know, they might maybe have some step uberous problems from maybe two years back. But subsequently, the housing and the cabinet area is, is well, well sorted. Whereas the heifers might be culturing back with step and that now is the problem. You know, so it is important just to just to make sure you don't miss or confuse the issue by by just sampling old cows, which could be holding chronic infections from a historical problem, which might no longer be present. Owen and Mary, there's been an awful lot of really good factual information and nearly, I wouldn't say too much, but if we were to almost summarize on, on the importance of the milk recording from another health point of view, but also a nutritional point of view, could you even summarize that into two or three points for people to take action with on from the listening to this? Well, I suppose when it comes to other health, uh, be it somatic cell count issues or be it clinical mastitis issues, um, all you, you can, it's very, very difficult to, to make progress without knowing individual cow data. And milk recording gives you that individual cow data which can help you then inform decision making. And decision making is in terms of what you do around drying off and what you do during lactation. Um, whether individual cows would be more suitable for drying off a quarter, whether it might be suitable for treatments, or whether uh, at drying off individual cows, uh, given their history, might be cows that you could put on, on a culling list. One of the major uh, reasons why sources of contagious bacterial infections have built up on some herds over the last number of years has been expansion. And uh, as part of that, maybe a failure to cull cows that maybe should have been culled due to chronic mastitis problems. And some of that has been due to the fact that there was a lack of information to show that that was there. Uh, the other thing with, with the data is that you can monitor and see if interventions that have been taken on a farm following an assessment of, of the milk machine and the routine and everything have made an improvement, maybe through your recent infection rates, etc. So you can monitor and see, have you made improvements? You can help make decisions. When it comes to nutrition, then that's a critical per- period of time in the, in, the, in the springtime where if you can pick up on particularly energy balance issues, uh, it can inform fertility uh, performance later in the year and improve that. Uh, and it certainly can minimize uh, postpartum and uterine infections and various things like that. So it can have significant effects uh, and can you know, save a lot of money on farms. I think as well, um, we often talk about maximizing the system and mm-hmm. nearly sometimes maximizing your system can put too much pressure on it. Yeah. And it's nearly, nearly, nearly going back to optimize your system. So, you know, cull your cows, improve your infrastructure to optimize your farming system to make it more productive, which yeah. in return is more profitable. If you're maximizing things the whole time and not maybe keeping up with services or yeah. routine cleaning or whatever the case may be. Eventually, it's going to creak at the seams, and Absolutely. issues will start arising. So you're dead right, Jack. And there's there's a whole even other aspect to milk recording that we even haven't discussed, and that's mm. the whole genetic side and all that, which 
you know, it's crucial. That's another podcast on. Yeah. <laughs> so, so there's so much information yeah. there. You know? yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's it's mm. it's vast. Yeah. I just find right. it fascinating how mm. we can get so much information That's about right. one cow from one, from one little sample. That's right. That's you right. Know. If I was even ask you on, I said it to Mary there before we even started, you know, if you if you went on a, on a scale of uh, ugly, bad, okay, good, great, perfect, where would you kind of feel we are as an Irish industry, Irish dairy industry, um, around the area of other health? I think we're good. I think we're good. Because, yeah. like... 60% of herds have mastitis, you know, well-controlled. Yeah. You know, cell count less than 200,000 cells per mil, pretty much all year round. Little enough clinical mastitis problems. There's no doubt that, um, you know, there's still a cohort of, of herds which yeah. which um, need need help and which can, can improve. But the majority of herds are doing quite well. Majority of herds are doing yeah. quite well. And you'd have to say like that Irish Irish dairy farmers and Irish farmers in general are are good and they're up there with the best around. Yeah. And as if there's anything else to take from this is that we've identified there is people there to help. That there's is courses right. there to help. You know, it's not a stick to beach, it's to help that's uh, right. the farmer and their farm system as well. So And the vet in practice because it's Absolutely. um it's essential to be able to to pull out the data and log into ICBF and look at a farm comfortably and 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 have a good assessment and overall assessment and i think that you know it's it's a great thing to be able to do so it, it provides a massive service absolutely absolutely and you know i can see going forward like that's you know the more and more uh, involved in in mastitis control you know and i think i think everything is driving that you mm-hmm. know even even all the new legislation it mm. is driving on yeah. that yeah From the perspective of a vet in practice and you're dealing with a firm that, you know, historically has always had a low cell count. Um, so we'll give it a 60 to 80, always bulk hovering around that. We'll get the odd clinical case of mastitis. They embraced selective dry cow therapy. They went 70 to 80%. Their cutoff rate was 80,000 for individual cows. They followed the cell check guidelines. It's two to three years in. They're happy with it. You know, there's been no major no major issues or anything like that but now their bulk is just pushing up towards you know 100 maybe 110 comes down to 90 goes back up to 100 and it's just irritating them because they've always had a lower cell count than that what can i say when i'm standing on the farm to that farmer to encourage him to stay at what he's doing number one or if do i need to take action is there something going wrong should i be worried well that type of a of a rise uh, isn't uncommon it isn't uncommon. The, the the important thing, I suppose, to to um to make the farmer aware is that um, that is a relatively small rise in cell count, and from the point of view of milk quality, uh, it won't have a, a big impact. From the point of view of risk of mastitis, again, it's it's a small risk. There will be contributing to that some new intramammary infections, and so what in those herds they that's most important to consider uh, in addition to teed seeding is environmental management and some some of those infections can occur uh, in that last couple of weeks before calving and a couple of weeks after calving so transition cow management those two areas there can be very very important uh, when it comes to reducing the risk of new intramammary infections um, in, in those herds but um, a rise to 100,000 while frustrating um, certainly won't necessarily mean that the herd is likely then to suffer a massive rise in cell count in the next lactation 
Um, uh, but what what would be always best would that, that there would be ongoing milk recording monitoring of individual cows just in case some cows have picked up an infection, maybe strep ubers, uh, uh, which can become cow adapted and can become a chronic or persistent during the next lactation so that they can be picked up and over the next year then decisions can be made in terms of treatment uh, and down the line whether culling might have to be an option for individual cows. So from a whirlwind discussion there all around other health and milk recording, to summarise, we're hoping that this will equip vets and farmers to be able to gather more data, number one, and use the data, number two. We really feel that from this, we've extracted so much information from you, Owen, that you know we're now probably more confident in what we are able to talk about comfortably on farms. And I think that that's, after, that's a huge, huge part of, of our job day to day, to be comfortable talking about this because the data is there and it's just needing to be used, really. So with that, having said that, I suppose myself and Jack, just on behalf of us and MSD, we'd like to really thank you Owen for taking part in this. You're a, a fountain of knowledge. We like to chip away at every now and then and, and get the get the nuggets of information. Well, I'd just like to say like, there are there, there's a lot of help now available mm-hmm. um, to, to vets and to, to, to farmers. Uh, and, to, you know, as, as, a, as an industry, there's a lot more people working together, you know, and I think this this uh, this AHI lactation consult is an example of that. And I think we should we should all hopefully work together uh, uh, to the to the betterment of of the farmer and, and to the cows under our care. So with that, we can close this one. Thanks very much for listening. Tune in again to the next part of this series, all focused on other health.